0: You're going to love this. Just love it. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn. And five days a week on Radio Sputnik. This is your broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me from BradBlog.com. Hopped up on cold medicine today. I uh, hope you can uh, hope you can stand it, Desi. Stand by. You may be called into uh, into action here on a moment's notice to take over. If things don't go well. (laughs) Okay. Keep me posted. (laughs) Glad you could join us here today. As I said, Uh, it has been two years now since Edward Snowden, the former NSA contractor from Booz Allen Hamilton, came out with his extraordinary disclosures that he gave to journalists Glenn Greenwald and others. Concerning uh, the way the uh, NSA has really was was scooping up, as we've now learned, illegally scooping up every phone call that was made in this country, at least the metadata from it, the records who you called, when you called them, how long you talked to them. Uh, last week, the uh, the uh, U.S. Congress finally put an end to that, sort of, kind of, with the Freedom Act replacing. Portions of the Patriot Act, the first time since uh, 9-11 that the Patriot Act has been revised in any way, shape or form for the most part. So that's good news, kind of. Edward Snowden wrote about all of this last week in The New York Times, marking the uh, two years since uh, since his disclosures, talking about how he was remarkably you know, described as a uh, as a terrorist when he came out with this information. I remember uh, being outraged about it at the time on, on the air, uh, playing clips from uh, Joe Biden and Sarah Palin, both regarding Edward Snowden as a terrorist. Well, Edward Snowden writes, two years on, the difference is profound. In a single month, the NSA's invasive call tracking program was declared unlawful, by the courts, and disowned by Congress. After a White House-appointed oversight board investigation found that this program had not stopped a single terrorist attack, even the president, who once defended its its propriety and criticized its disclosure, has now ordered it terminated. This is the power of an informed public, wrote Edward Snowden. Correctly. Once people know what's going on, things can change. It's when we keep things a secret that things don't change and things get only worse. He continues, ending the mass surveillance of private phone calls under the Patriot Act is a historic victory for the rights of every citizen, but it is only the latest product of a change in global awareness. Since 2013, institutions across Europe have ruled similar laws and operations illegal and imposed new restrictions on future activities. The UN declared mass surveillance an unambiguous violation of human rights. In Latin America, the efforts of citizens in Brazil led to the Marco Civil, an Internet Bill of Rights. Recognizing the critical role of informed citizens in correcting the excesses of government, the Council of Europe called for new laws to protect whistleblowers. The Power of an Informed Public. One of the things that Edward Snowden talked about when, uh, when his disclosures first came out it was about the privatization of our uh, U.S. security apparatus, the privatization of defense contractors following 9-11. And now Tim Shorrock, an investigative journalist, uh, has a provocative article, I would call it a warning, uh, in, uh, in The Nation last week, entitled How Private Contractors Have Created a Shadow NSA. We're going to speak with Tim Shorrock about that in, a, uh, in, in just a few minutes. It's a fascinating article, and it is, uh, it is disturbing, because while things are getting better, as Edward Snowden suggests, there's still a lot of work to be done, and there's still a lot of stuff that goes on in secret that shouldn't be going on in secret. And not only is it going on in secret, but it is being privatized to contractors some uh three million i believe it was three million uh american citizens have top security uh top secret security clearance at this point. Three million. what kind of secrets are these anyway we'll be speaking with tim shorrock about that in a little bit in the meantime uh some politics here first <laughs> the over <laughs> Some amazing stuff uh, over the past week. Uh, this just comes in from Senator John Thune, Republican from uh, South Dakota. You know, there's this Obamacare case that's in front of the Supreme Court in the next a week or two, I believe. Uh, we're going to find, uh, we're going to hear this decision from the Supreme Court whether it will knock out subsidies for some. 6 million Americans who are enjoying those subsidies under Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, many of whom are able to afford uh, health care for the first time in this country. As you know, the Republicans have been on a jihad against Obamacare despite its popularity, despite the fact that we've got now uh, 12 million, I believe, uh, 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 people who have signed up for Obamacare under the uh, uh, since that law has been passed. So they've Continue to come up with new reasons why it's terrible, and the reasons become more and more inane and insane. So this is what John uh, John Thune tweeted out just this afternoon in regard to the uh, Supreme Court uh, the uh, Supreme Court decision that will, will be coming soon. He wrote six uh, million people losing their health care subsidies, yet POTUS, President of the United States, continues to deny that Obamacare is bad for the American people. I know. Don't look at me that way, he?
1: <laughs> it just it, didn't make sense. I thought, wait, I must have not. No, I must have not heard you right. No, write.
0: that's what he said. So, because six million people may lose their health care subsidies because Republicans are challenging Obamacare, therefore Obamacare is bad.
1: Wow, that's some grade A trolling right, right? there. Right, right. So that's some double speak.
0: Because Obamacare, the subsidies are awesome, and people may lose them. Therefore, Obamacare is bad. This is uh, amazing. Sarah Cliff writes at uh, at Vox.com. dot uh, These are not just healthcare subsidies that Thune writes about. These are Obamacare subsidies specifically. And Thune is literally criticizing Obamacare by saying that its insurance subsidies are a great program. One that Americans uh, should be worried about losing. It makes no sense. The entire Republican Party at this point makes no sense. Now, John Thune is not, as far as we know, yet running for president. He's one of the very few uh, Republicans, apparently, who are not running for president. Uh, The ones of the ones who are running for president, you have guys like Rick Perry, who makes even less sense in what he's talking about. And I'm not talking about this just uh, just by way of of bashing Republicans or talking about uh, presidential politics. I'm uh, sort of trying to get at a bigger picture here. Uh, Republicans, as far as I can tell, are quickly making themselves irrelevant. I read a uh, a, a poll last week about the fact that. Uh, a GOP candidate positioning himself or herself as a conservative on both social and economic issues will now appeal to less than half of the broad base of rank-and-file party members. So a social and economic conservative won't even appeal to a majority of Republicans at this point. The party is disappearing, and that's why... uh, you know, Hillary Clinton came out about voting rights last week. Uh, it's more specifically why Republicans are trying to restrict voting rights everywhere, because that's the only way that they can win elections. It's an inane party. It makes no sense. The debate has now moved over onto what is now the uh, being considered the Democratic side of, of the aisle. But really, it's, it's the populist side. It's the popular side of the aisle. But d- just to give you an example... Of how ridiculous Republicans have come. Here was Rick Perry last week announcing his uh, his second candidacy for president, as a uh, indicted uh, indicted for uh, felony charges. By the way, Rick Perry, former governor of Texas, says something like this, and everyone cheers.
2: There is nothing wrong in America today that a change of leadership will not make happen.
0: what what there is what does he say there's He's, there's
1: nothing wrong that we can't make happen
0: there's nothing wrong in america today that a change in leadership can't make happen and they all cheered it the cheering went on and on i mean you know i know we have uh, george Bushisms. he used to say stuff like that all the time so i guess this is what happens when you become go- a texas governor It's just, it's insane. It makes no sense, yes? But he's
1: wearing glasses now, so clearly he is smarter. smarter. It's a cunning disguise. Nobody recognizes him.
0: Worked for Clark Kent. So, we have this party that is uh, kind of insane and kind of has no relevance to the lives of actual Americans. I read a New York Times CBS News poll last week uh, showing that 85% of Americans favor requiring employers to offer paid sick leave. 80% favor requiring employers to offer paid sick leave to parents of new children. 71% huge majorities support raising the federal minimum wage to $10.10 per hour. 68% support raising taxes on those making more than a million dollars a year. 57% say government should do more to reduce the gap between rich and poor. So the only way that Republicans at this point can win elections is by either becoming completely inane so nobody knows what they're talking about, or keeping people from uh, getting to the polling place at all. And that's why Hillary came out for voting rights. And by the way, that's why she has come out uh, in favor of progressive ideas like prison, uh, prison reform, immigration reform. Uh, she supported uh, these, these reforms we talked about with the NSA. And then I got an email from uh, one of these uh, folks who support the uh, fast food unionization movement calling for $15 an hour for fast food workers. Got this just this morning. Secretary Hillary Clinton's surprise phone call to 1,300 fast food workers gathered in Detroit this weekend drew widespread attention, announcing, quote, I want to be your champion. Clinton told fast food workers from across the country Sunday, quote, what you're doing to build the fight for 15 movement. That's what they're calling themselves, the Fight for 15. What you're doing to build the Fight for 15 movement is so important, she urged them to, quote, please keep up the fight, assuring workers of the impact that their movement has had on the country. Clinton continued, there's a lot we can do together, and you're showing us what the route is. You're on the streets. Your voices are being heard. We need you. She is not backing away from progressive ideals. Now, some of that may have to do, of course, with uh, her opponents in this race, her real opponents in this race, Senator Bernie Sanders, former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley, former Rhode Island Governor Lincoln Chafee, uh, and, and their progressive policies. But she is not doing what many thought she would do, which is move to the center. Or, I should say, move farther to the right. She's already in the center. She's firmly in the center at best. All of these ideas are center ideas. There's nothing you know, lefty, nothing commie about it. That's why they have to call out Bernie Sanders uh, every time they describe him as a Democratic socialist. He's a socialist. Well, socialism is yeah, kind of a center idea. Writing at the Washington Monthly, uh, Nancy Latourneau writes, It wasn't that long ago that the big question everyone asked of Democrats was how they were going to compete in southern states. It was assumed that only by nominating candidates from the South, like Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, could we hope to win the presidency. Most of that talk ended with the election and re-election of Barack Obama. Since then, it's been my fantasy, she writes, that someday pundits will start asking Republicans, how are they going to compete in states like Virginia? Or better yet, West Coast states, which, by the way, Reagan actually won. But of course, the media doesn't talk about that. New York Times, uh, Jonathan Martin and Maggie Haberman wrote over the weekend uh, that this is about uh, they that they want to make this as much about geography as it is about which voters Hillary Clinton is attempting to appeal to. But that totally misses the point, as Brian Butler at uh, New York New Republic uh, recently noticed noted. Quote, The nature of Hillary Clinton's strategy involves staking out a variety of progressive issue positions that enjoy broad support. But it's not as straightforward as simply identifying the public sentiments and writing it to victory. The key is to embrace those ideas in ways that make standard Republican counterspin completely unresponsive and thus airs out the substantive core of their agenda. Rather than vie for conservative support by inching rightward, Clinton is instead reorienting liberal ideas in ways that make the Republican agenda come into greater focus. Now, by the way, Brian Butler describes them as liberal ideas. These are not liberal ideas, as those as those numbers I was reading to you from that poll uh, shows. These are popular ideas. They are center ideas. They are wildly supported ideas, not just on the left, but also on the right, also among Republicans, real Republicans, not these crazy uh, whoever these John Thune and Rick Perry have become. Nancy Latourneau at Washington Monthly goes on to write that Clinton's liberal policy positions, that's in quotes, will have the Republicans now running against the minimum wage. Against efforts to curb climate change, against immigration reform, against voting rights, against campaign finance reform, etc. So please tell me who loses independence in that scenario. It's not Hillary Clinton, as the New York Times would make it out to be. Oh, she's not going to be able to appeal to independence with these wildly leftist uh, ideas she's coming out with. Wrong. That's just wrong. She, frankly, is doing what, uh, what uh, Bernie Sanders has been doing for decades. And, by the way, doing it much better than Hillary Clinton has been able to do it so far. Because when Bernie Sanders says it, you kind of believe him. When Hillary Clinton says it, you go, well, what's up with that? What's her game? Well, if her game is to appeal to the American people, not just voters on the left, but voters straight down the center, so-called independents, then I would argue... She's hitting the nail right on the head. And finally, finally, we've got uh, candidates on the Democratic side who are coming out, uh, well, like uh, what Howard Dean used to say, the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party. Things that Democrats actually believe in, things that progressives actually believe in instead of trying to appeal to some, uh, well, instead of trying to appeal to Republicans. As Barack Obama, by the way, spent a great deal of his presidency, I should say wasted a great deal of his presidency trying to do. Nancy Latourno goes on to write, someday perhaps national political pundits will acknowledge that it is the Republicans who have gotten so extreme as to make a core democratic message appealing to a broad spectrum of the country. I talked last week, and I will continue to talk about the dawn of the progressive age that I believe we are in. I believe that's true, and I believe it's quite possible Hillary Clinton may have begun to figure that out. At least someone on her campaign has. She's saying all the right things. We'll see if she means it, and we'll see how the public responds to it. If they stick to the issues, however, the issues that are very popular in this country, Across this country, not just among some uh, uh, liberal left position, as the New York Times likes to describe it. If she sticks to those positions, she will win in a uh, landslide, should she win the nomination. But we'll see if she wins that nomination. Bernie Sanders is putting up a hell of a fight. All right. Uh, as. Uh, encouraged frankly as i am about these things and these progressive ideas and this dawn of this progressive age uh, that's not to say that everything's going well on this country it's going to take a long time and it's going to be a long fight even as things may be moving in the right direction and there's a lot of work that needs to be done including in our national security apparatus Uh, Which is very not progressive as it is structured, and that too needs to be reformed. We're going to talk a little bit about that after a short break. Here with Tim Shorrock of The Nation. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the broadcast. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here with you. We'll be speaking with uh, Tim Shorrock momentarily, hence the music. You know, we've talked on this show, I've talked on this show, about uh, how I was actually personally, me and my family, were targeted by defense contractors who were, Contracted by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Quite literally, we found out about this uh, when Anonymous actually hacked some one of these uh, one of these defense contractors, and we found out that the, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, one of the most uh, powerful, if not the most powerful, right wing lobbyists uh, in this country. Uh, di- apparently didn't like me didn't like what I was reporting at bradblog.com and uh, and wanted to uh, target me wanted to infiltrate whatever the hell it is that I do which is pretty transparent but they were you know talk of of uh, hacking into my home uh, uh, computer networks planting disinformation all kinds of things luckily that was broken up when anonymous uh, hacked into them and revealed all of these emails now you might remember at the exact same time, uh, the Bank of America was working out a deal with these same private defense uh, security contractors to go after Glenn Greenwald, who at the time they regarded as uh, uh, trouble for them. Well, the, the bigger picture here that you know was most disturbing to me, other than targeting me and my family, by the way, extended family, not just me. Uh, what was troubling about it was that these were defense contractors. Who had, uh, you know, huge multi-million-dollar, if not billion-dollar contracts with the U.S. government that they were putting together tools to track terrorists in the so-called war on terror, and now they were turning those tools created with taxpayer dollars against actual taxpayers, against journalists, and uh, you know, uh, folks uh, in in unions who, who uh, in the case of the um, Chamber of Commerce. They felt were a threat against what they did. And, uh, you know, the idea that defense contractors, U.S. defense contractors were taking money given to them by the taxpayers to use against private citizens is exceedingly troubling to me. And for my money, it's never really been investigated enough, perhaps in no small reason, because so many folks in Congress are beholden in some fashion uh, to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Because it was the Department of Justice, yes, our Department of Justice, that actually uh, appointed Bank of America to these U.S. defense contractors in the first place when uh, Bank of America was concerned about what Glenn Greenwald was doing and reporting on WikiLeaks and so forth. And this was before Edward Snowden came came into the picture. Once Snowden came into the picture, he also talked about how uh, our, our uh, you know, security contractor system has been just, com- I don't want to say completely, but damn near completely privatized. Well, that was uh, defense security um, and defense contractors. But what about the NSA themselves? Uh, this week, uh, Tim Shorrock, a Washington-based investigative journalist, author of Spies for Hire, The Secret World of Outsourced Intelligence, published a uh, disturbing article, I'm going to call it a warning, over at The Nation, headlined, How Private Contractors Have Created a Shadow NSA. That's troubling. Uh, Tim has written at The Nation, Salon, Daily Beast, Mother Jones, The Progressive, Foreign Policy, In Focus, and Asia Times, and he joins us now on the broadcast to talk about this uh, disturbing article slash warning. Uh, Tim Shorrock, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to have you here. Okay, you, um, for years, uh, folks in, uh, in government, in the military, the intel community, have been moving out of government into the private sector, really as part of that military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us all about on his way out the door. Now, you write, however, that uh, what's going on with this so-called shadow NSA is very different from the dc revolving door that we might be familiar with in the past how so
3: well it's different because in the past you had high level you had generals and all kinds of officials and people in government and in defense moving to the private sector but they would often go on to boards of companies not directly related to what they were doing while they were in government Uh, you know, they would go on to a, uh, or they'd go on to a think tank or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now what we have are high-ranking, very high-ranking officials from intelligence and from DOD and from all kinds of agencies moving into contractors and other kinds of private entities where they are sort of replicating the same work they did in the government, except they're being paid millions and millions and millions of dollars for it and and so the reason i think this is more disturbing is that you know while there was and is a military industrial complex and, and and yes eisenhower talked about it we now have i believe a secret new class of people who have their feet firmly implanted in both the public sector in both the government and the intelligence and the defense sector and the private sector at the same time and many of them have security clearances very high-level security clearances where they can draw on years of experience and the classified information they get and are exposed to and they've been exposed to for years and they can use that now for the benefit of the uh, often, the, you know, the companies, their firms will work with, like the ones you just sort of talked about at the beginning of your show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it puts them in a position where, you know, these kind of contractors uh, working, former officials working for the government, there's really no kind of oversight of this. There's there's no way that, you know, Congress has shown very little interest in looking into how these contractors work, the kind of relationships that a former official like, say, Michael Hayden of the NSA Mm -hmm. might have had with some of the companies he's now affiliated with while he was working for the NSA or working for the CIA, and I believe it gives them a lot more power uh, than they had in the past.
0: And I want to get into some of those specifics uh, with, with Michael Hayden and so forth, but uh, if I understand your concerns uh, accurately what you're saying is they, they used to you'd have uh, uh, you know generals or, or so forth and they would go maybe on a, uh, the board of a bank or a think tank and they would sort of serve a uh, uh, you know in, in a position to make that bank that that board at that bank or that think tank look good but what you're saying the difference is now they're taking their skills whether it's a general or some a high-ranking official from the intelligence community, they're taking those skills, bringing them into a a corporate outlet, and continuing to do some of the same work and continuing to enjoy the same uh, 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 secret, uh, top secret uh, access to information. Are, are they using that information for the company itself, for the for the corporation, or is your and that's your concern, or is your concern that those people, th- those corporations, are now being contracted? By the government, so essentially we're just outsourcing uh, some some of these people and their their classification levels.
3: Well, my concern is both, actually. Um, but you know, let's take an example, like okay, Robert McNamara, you mm-hmm. know, you know, got us help get us in Vietnam under JFK. He was the Secretary of Defense. He left the Secretary. He left the Defense Department. Uh, left the Johnson administration. Where to he go? He went to the head up the World Bank, you know, apparently because he felt guilt about what he'd done in Vietnam and mm-hmm. so on. But he went to the World Bank. That was the kind of move that a lot of these senior officials used to make. You know, they, They'd go to some institution like that. They right. didn't have a direct bearing what they did before. Okay. Then take Michael Hayden. He leaves the NSA. He goes, joins this group, uh, the Chertoff group, where he sort of creates a whole sort of you know shadow n s a like I described in that article, mm-hmm. where they bring all these people in from n s a who you know have the same clearance as they did before and and now they're working they may be working for the government they're working for private sector, but they are doing essentially the same thing i mean he 's out there every day virtually every day on the media, defending and talking about how great the n s a is and how terrible it is that Snowden leaked these documents and you know, always defending the NSA. He's not quite on the NSA payroll, but he's still doing it. Well,
0: what's so, a, what, what's the problem with that? I mean, and these are a bunch of guys who, uh, they certainly bulked up the intelligence community after nine eleven and during the Bush right? administration. A lot of these people have now moved on, as you say, to these companies. What's the problem with that?
3: Well, the problem is, uh, well, when, you, when you're talking just in terms of, like, their, you know, their media appearances, they're, they're often not they're often not uh, uh identified as a member of a company. Now mm-hmm. now Hayden usually is because he's so prominent. But mm-hmm. there are many others. If you look at say for example, you know, N- NBC and M S N B always have these security uh analysts, the national right. they're national security analysts, and uh they're almost always uh you know, former, you know, you work for Homeland Security or you work for uh uh you know the the CIA's uh, counterterrorism center and that that gives them you know a certain kind of expertise in the public mind and in fact you know you know they they deserve some expertise sure. because they served in those positions right but they don't tell you they now work for say Booz Allen Hamilton which you know makes a lot of money off that same agency or another company that that, that you know that does the same thing Palantir for example you mm-hmm. know makes money from NSA contracts And so by not telling the public, the public is misled. So, you know, they they think, well, this guy really knows what he's talking about, and he must have some real insight in how the government works. But he also has money invested in this. Mm. He's being paid, you know, by a company that's making their money from those agencies. And so, you know, he has vested interests that they're not telling you about. So on one hand, you know, I think the public is badly misled by the media by all these people in the media. So but we, I think that they also have, you know, some powers that that official former officials never had before.
0: So the result is when we hear in our uh, in our media, in our you know, trusted mainstream media, we end up hearing how uh, how important the NSA is, how important the spying is, how important uh, you know things like the uh, the Patriot Act are uh because we are hearing from people who have a vested interest in uh, in continuing all of these uh, expanding programs right. correct
3: right. H- right they may be working for a company that say you know analyzes intelligence that's collected under the Patriot Act mm-hmm. right And so, you know, someone like that, of course, is going to say, well, yes, this part of the Patriot Act is, you know, really good, and it's, you know, really helps uh, fight terrorism and so on and so forth. Uh, But they're uh, clearly, you know, they're they're clearly have interest in there, which 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 drives what they're going to say. Someone else, uh, you know, without that interest, would, you know, could have a very different. Uh, interpretation of how important or not important you know the Patriot is, Patriot Act is And we
0: never and we so rarely hear from uh that side from a, a you know a counter side there was so much I remember when uh, the Edward Snowden leaks happened and you are hearing all of these guys coming on, not just government officials, but also these private contractors coming right. out talking about how Edward Snowden and these leaks has had put us at risk. How uh, Glenn Greenwald is a you know a terrorist that <laughs> needs to be arrested, and there seem to be very few people on the other side of 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 the equation. And I guess it's because uh, these so-called experts, and you're right, they are expert. They do have an expertise in this, but they also have a stake. In this. They
3: have a stake, and that's the problem.
0: And, and they have a very big stake. And I should note, by the way, uh, you had mentioned Palantir, and I don't want to let these guys get off the hook without uh, pointing out what jerks they are. Palantir, Barrico, and H.B. Gary, those were, by the way, the three defense contractors who were trying to work out with the, uh, that deal with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce ba- uh, to, to target me and my family, and... Uh, they've all been rewarded since. Uh, Palantir has gotten huge contracts, and you're right. When there was a question, because there was some hearing, this did come up in some congressional hearings, some uh, Congress members uh, acted as if they were concerned about it, but there was no follow-up. Nothing was ever done. No one was ever held accountable. Why? Isn't that what Congress is supposed to be doing, supposed to be overseeing? these agencies and these private corporations who have contracts with the government?
3: They are. You know, since nine eleven, I think there's only been, you know, three, at the most, four hearings on intelligence contractors. And they have all been very kind of, you know, uh, surface, you know, just touch the surface. Uh, and they didn't, you know, really bring any people on to really testify about what they do. Uh, but they've, they've just really ignored this. I mean, when Snowden came out, you know, 2 years ago, almost 2 years ago today, as a former Booz Allen Hamilton employee, there was a flurry of discussion about it. All of a sudden I got a kind of interviews with like Bloomberg, you know, what's going on with this privatized, you know, intelligence. Yeah. And there was uh, some focus on it, but then, you know, and and then Diane Feinstein and you know other uh, leading uh, lawmakers who have responsibility over intelligence were saying well this is you know we got to kind of take a look at this and but they never did and uh, i think that part of the reason is uh you know just like any other corporate uh, institution they get money they get money from these companies yeah. i mean the other day i was kind of laughing to myself as i watched the debate on the this the senate bill and i saw my former senator, uh, when I used to live in Maryland, Barbara Mikulski, yeah. you know, defending intelligence professionals yeah. and all this. So what we, you know, she's from Maryland. You know, NFA is a huge employer in her state. You know, sure. the biggest employer in Maryland. And if you look, I, you know, actually tweeted that day. You know, you, you look at her, uh, the, who don't, who donates money to her. You know, half of her her money lifetime comes from you know, six of the largest NSA contractors. So, you know, she's close to the agency, but she's also, you know, she gets, you know, tons of money from these these companies. So she's not going to go against those interests and, you know, and, and say, you know, what NSA is doing is wrong. And uh, you can almost look at the people that have been most critical of this mass surveillance, like Ron Wyden of Oregon. Now, he doesn't have... There's hardly any, you know, military-industrial complex in his state, Oregon, mm-hmm. and so he's kind of free to, to to make that kind of critique. So I think it really colors the political discussion in Congress. And uh, you know, what I what I actually am most concerned about, though is the fact that we have, you know, what is it? I forget the Washington Post estimate a few years ago. It's like, you know, a, a million and a half people with security clearances, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And more more them, than that. I think it was something yeah. like
0: 3 million. It was a ridiculous number. It's, yeah. I
3: mean, it's in the millions. Yeah. I mean, it's a percentage of the U.S. adult population. Correct. You know, a significant percentage. Yeah. And you have all these people with classified information, because that's what a security clearance is for. And so, and, they're, and most of them are working for private companies that contract for the government. And often, you know, contract with, with, with corporations, too, to provide certain kinds of intelligence. And so, you know, you have a huge number of people in our country who are spying on us who are spying on on the rest of the world. And, you know, much of our spying now is domestic. You know, ever since 9-11, they just turned, you know, this incredible NSA spying system, surveillance system, Mm -hmm. uh, onto the U.S. And so it's, it's a global spying system. So you have this huge number of people in our country who have access to this kind of information. And I think the danger also is that this, it's not, when we talk about the NSA, people are, you know, Fearful of that agency because it, it does in fact have so much power. But you know, much of that information that they get from you know uh, monitoring telephones and email and, and, and cell phones and so on, uh, and and all that metadata they collect about mm-hmm. who calls who and when and the networks you belong to, much of that information goes to domestic uh, you know law enforcement. To National Guard, these fusion centers that are all over the country, where they you know fuse quote unquote intelligence and you know that they pick up domestically and internationally, and then apply it to you know looking at their local areas. And so, you know, it's a uh, it's a scary thought uh, that that we have this massive. Privatized intelligence systems.
0: Well, yeah, and I want to ask you about that. We're speaking with uh, Tim Shorrock, investigative uh, journalist, about his article at The Nation, how private contractors have created a shadow NSA. Uh, Tim, we recently had the passage of the Freedom Act in Congress uh, to replace at least parts of the, uh, uh, the the Patriot Act, and one of the and there's a there's a seems to me to be a pretty huge split, frankly in the civil liberties community some uh, who were in favor of this of the changes made here others who thought it hasn't gone nearly far enough but one of the key changes was the uh, mass surveillance that the government had been doing of all of the phone calls at least of the metadata from those phone calls who you called what time uh, and so forth the change from the government the nsa holding on to those records versus now supposedly Private companies holding on to those records, Telecom, right. Uh, uh, telecoms. Right? Uh, do you see uh, uh, well, do you see any difference at this point in those two? And what are the 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 dangers in each of them as you uh, assess it?
3: Well, there's there's certain technical parts of that that whole bill and how that's going to work that I'm not that familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I do know that uh, you know the way that the telecoms have worked historically with the NSA you know, has been, uh, you know, a top official at NSA director or, you know, number two person, something like that, would in the past just sort of cut kind a of deal with a CEO of a company, you know, and they'd say, hey, you know, we really need your help, you know, can we get your phone records because, yeah. you know, we have this national security threat. And, this, you know, even if, if people recall, before 9-11, in the spring of 2001, Michael Hayden, who was director of NSA then, reached out to all these telecom firms. This came out later, yeah, uh, and asked them to t- start turning over records. And, and some of them did ask for you know legal opinions, but for the you know pretty much they all uh, they all uh, agreed to provide some kind of records to the NSA. This was long before nine eleven, right? Yeah. Only yeah. one company resisted, and this was a company called Quest that was yes. based in Denver. And the CEO of that company later went to jail. He was prosecuted for supposedly, you know, saying false statements in, in statements, uh, you know, to shareholders under SEC rules.
0: But, but there, he claimed. But there that there was, he, yeah, there was questions whether he was being targeted because he didn't play ball. Because with he the didn't government.
3: go along. But yeah. he claimed that he thought his company was getting contracts, and so therefore he estimated their earnings to be, you know, mm. so much. And you know, these but, but you know, it was sort yeah. of an unusual. Uh, you know, uh, government case, but in the fact is, he resisted, and he you know he was penalized. He spent time in jail, and he said since that he thought he was targeted because of that. Yeah. And and this is before nine eleven. So after nine eleven, you know that's the pressure really increased, of course, and the companies went along very easily. But you know, you go back to the fifties, sixties, that's the kind of deal they made, and that's what I'm kind of you know concerned about here. That you know companies have always been willing to sort of skirt the law if they were convinced that, you know, it was in the national security interest. And often, if you read James Bamford's, you know, books, The mm-hmm. History of the NSA, his three great volumes about the NSA, mm-hmm. you know, there's, sometimes there was just two people at the company that, that knew what was going on. And, uh, and they would just sort of like, you know, tell the technicians, okay, you know, so-and-so is going to be here from the government and just sort of do what he says or he, she says. And that's, that's how it worked. And that's kind of what I'm afraid of here. Uh, so you know, they, they, maybe it's companies that hold them, but maybe there will be some friendly call. You know, can you provide this information on so and so? Or you know, I, yeah, I don't, that I don't, I, yeah. yeah,
0: I don't know who I should be more concerned about holding onto the <laughs> records, whether it's the government or these companies. Uh, I got about a minute left here, uh, Tim. You write that there's a great need for more reporting and whistleblowing about the pernicious role of contractors in national security, but that few journalists have explored the world of privatized spying. Is that uh, the solution? Is that how we rein it in, uh, wait for the uh, whistleblowers to, to come out of the woodwork and the, uh, the journalists to do some digging? Is that our only hope at this point? Or
3: I, I don't think it's our only hope, but I think it's necessary because I think, you know, we're, we're, when, often people use the word state surveillance, right, surveillance state. Yeah. But it's really a surveillance joint venture between the state and the private sector. And I think we can't forget that. And therefore, we need more light shed on this, on this whole uh, system and how it works with the, with the private companies. And I think, you know, we need more reporting on it. It is sexy, to, you know, to go and cover NSA and the hearings and all that. But, you know, look, 70% of the budget goes to private sector companies. Mm-hmm. And we need to know about that if we're going to have the full information that we can act politically on. That's all I'm saying there, and I think that we need more leaks about these contractors and, uh, you know, more reporting and more people really looking at it as a joint venture because that's, in fact, what it is.
0: Seventy percent of the budget, you say, goes to private contractors. Amazing, and with almost zero oversight, at least that we know about. Uh, Right. uh, Amazing. Uh, Tim Shorrock, investigative Journalist based in Washington, D.C., author of Spies for Hire, The Secret World of Outsourced Intelligence, and the writer of uh, the article at The Nation this week, How Private Contractors Have Created a Shadow NSA. Check that article out at The Nation. Check more of Tim's work out at Timshorock.com. Tim, really uh, delighted to have you here today. hope you will join us again in the future uh, to talk about this, because you're right, we need more journalism on this very issue. Thanks, Tim. Will do. I appreciate it very much. You bet. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we will be back with more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My thanks to journalist Tim Shorrock for that fascinating conversation. More journalism. We need more journalism indeed. Instead, what we got is, you know, Fox News, unfortunately. Uh, Bruce Bartlett, who used to work for uh, Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush, put out a fascinating academic study a few weeks back on, uh, on how Fox News has hurt the country, how in places where Fox News, uh, you know, when they went on air in any location, they uh, uh, suddenly Republicans started uh, winning more elections, and that what has happened is they have created their own uh, self-contained bubble which he calls self brainwashing. And he cited uh, Bruce Bartlett, cited this interview with uh, Bill O'Reilly recently at wwd.com in which they asked him, Do you ever get your news from the bigger digital players like Yahoo? Bill said, Not really. I'm so busy reading and doing my book projects and uh, so forth, I get a sumnation of what's around on Fox News, and I get it in a folder. So that's it. He only gets that's He he gets, as Bruce Bartlett tweeted, Fox's Bill O'Reilly gets 100 percent of his news from Fox itself.
1: Well, that explains a lot.
0: That's the self-contained bubble. And that is the thing that I believe is doing Republicans. in. I've been trying to call them out for years for that because, frankly, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Uh, Democrats doesn't help progressives to not have a legitimate opposition. And we there is no legitimate opposition anymore. So they asked Bill O'Reilly, do you believe in global warming? Desi Doyen, pay attention. Desi, of course, is my uh, co-host on the Green News Report, nationally syndicated at fine progressive uh, radio stations around the world. Do you believe in global warming? They asked Bill O'Reilly. He said, my thing is, if it's cleaner, it's better. I'm not qualified to determine if there's a deity controlling it.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs)
0: So that's, I guess, a variation on the I'm not a scientist, but who asks if there's a deity control? Uh, I'm not qualified to determine if there's a deity controlling it. Some people say the ice in Antarctica is massing. So there's a lot we don't understand. Massing? Massing. Yeah, this is, well, you remember the... uh, I know, I'm just
1: questioning the term that he chose to use. The old
0: denier ruse that... Uh, yeah, sure, we're losing all that ice up in the Arctic, but down in the Antarctic, it's uh, we're, we're gaining ice, so it's all... Uh,
1: a huge misrepresentation of the science, yes, you're right. Well, that's
0: what but that's what they're doing, and uh, Bill O'Reilly doesn't know any better because, you know, he gets a summation of what's going around in Fox News, and he gets it in a folder. So this is the kind of thing you're dealing with in general over at Fox News, but over the weekend... Rick Santorum, who is uh, the 10th, I believe, the 10th Republican candidate now running for president of the United, well, running for the nomination on the Republican side. He sat down with Chris Wallace. And unfortunately, you know, we got a turn of people like Chris Wallace now and Megan Kelly to, uh, you know, to ask these Republicans anything because they don't show up anywhere else. They don't show right. up on uh, non-wingnut media. Fortunately, Megyn Kelly has been doing a pretty good job uh, holding some feats to the fire. She uh, helped the world see how stupid Jeb Bush was when it came to the Iraq War. And here's Chris Wallace now asking Rick Santorum about the Pope's encyclical that is coming out. When is this new encyclical coming out?
1: It comes out on June
0: 18th. June 18th. You re- regard this as, uh, to to help uh, the layman, to help uh, people like me, who are not Catholic, understand what an encyclical is. You call it a great big papal paper.
1: <laughs> yes, it's essentially it's a position paper that does not quite have the force of the full Catholic Church behind it, or the infallibility of the Pope <laughs> behind it, but it is considered second Wait, to Wait, it does not
0: have the infallibility of the Pope yes. behind it?
1: Yeah, or it's just church? slightly below that.
0: Okay, uh, And yet, if the Pope comes out and endorses this encyclical, then now it has the... The power of the Pope.
1: Well, it does. It always has the power it's of the Pope. It's got
0: the papal power behind it. Yes. This papal paper. Okay. In any case, Chris Wallace asked uh, uh, Rick Santorum about this because it looks like the Pope is going to come out and call for action on global warming. Yes. He's the,
1: going to do this in advance of the international UN climate talks in Paris, which are supposed to end in a treaty that everybody signs on to. This is in support of that. Saying that
0: this is a moral issue, right? Yes. Because. Uh, only the human you know the survival of humanity is at stake caring
1: for god's creation yes he says is an important thing to do
0: and the pope by the way it turns out was a chemist he's a scientist right
1: yes he is he has a master's in chemistry
0: all right and that's sort of where uh, things pick up here with uh, chris wallace uh and the old uh, i'm not a scientist ruse uh chris wallace on uh, the sunday uh, uh, rick santorum on uh, fox news sunday
2: Pope Francis will release an encyclical on the environment on June 18th, and you suggested recently that the Holy Father should stay out of the debate on climate change. Here you are. Church has gotten it wrong a few times on science, and I think that uh, yeah, we probably are better off leaving <laughs> right. science to the scientists and focusing on what we do, what we're, what we're really good at, which is, uh, which, is the, which is theology and morality. Two points, if he's not a scientist and in fact he does have a degree yes, in yes, chemistry, neither are you. I, I agree. And, but, and, and but, that's one point, and I, the I, second point is that somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of the scientists who have studied this say that humans, man, act, may, human activity contributes to climate change. So I guess the question would be if he shouldn't talk about it, should you? Well we we have to make public policy uh, re- with regard to uh the environmental policy
0: I- i'm going to stop it there for a second i love that because all of these t- all this time these republicans have been saying oh, don't ask me about climate change i'm not a scientist and yet aren't they making a uh, public policy when it comes to global warming aren't they making policy when you know in in north carolina when they say you, you can't call sea rise sea rise you have to call it I don't even know what they call it in in North Carolina anymore.
1: And they also make policy when they make policy, say, on what women are allowed to do with their bodies, on reproductive health. They're not doctors, but they make those decisions anyway. So obviously people are starting to catch on that that's a stupid thing to say. So Rick Santorum is taking it to the next logical place is, well, we have to make policy. We have to make choices.
0: Well, it's true. They do, even though they're not scientists. And uh, I guess that uh, I'm not a scientist thing doesn't work out anymore. Okay, here's more Fox News Sunday.
2: So... I guess the question would be, if he shouldn't talk about it, should you? Well, we we have to make public policy uh, re- with regard to uh, the environmental policy, I, I, but you're not I, a scientist. You said leave but, science to the science. Well, but the point <laughs> is that politicians, whether we like it or not, people in, in in government have to make decisions with respect to our public policy that affect American workers. Look at the. No,
0: no, no. The point is once your whole "I'm not a scientist" ruse fell apart, because uh, Chris Wallace pointed out that, well, yeah, you're not a scientist, but you still have to make pu- public policy. Once that fell apart, you got nothing, Rick Santorum. And the rest of the Republicans, who I think are giving up this I'm not a scientist ruse, aren't they? Des? It does Has seem they,
1: like they're going like they're moving away from that.
0: Yeah, because they're saying I'm not a scientist and yet at the same time they're making environmental policy. Whether it's, you know, down in Florida, you're not allowed to talk about climate change, uh, North Carolina, where they what was it? You you can't the state can't put out reports that talk about they can't sea use rice.
1: the word sea level rise. Can't they have use to the use you know, some rise. other right. strange word.
0: So they are making environmental policies. They're making environmental policies, if only by default, in not making environmental policies. So uh, back to... Uh,
2: the administration is now proposing this ozone regulation that will simply shut down any manufacturing expansion in this country. Not true. So yes, <laughs> there are things that, that are going to happen here that scientists are going to determine. You know whether, whether whether we need ozone regulations or not. And you know but that the Pope has a right. You but know but there, the Pope has a right to but talk there are, about this. Pope can talk about whatever he wants to talk about. I'm just saying, what should the Pope use his moral authority for? And I, I would make well, the he argument would say he's protecting for moral the Earth. issues. Yeah. I, I would say that that's an protecting important thing Earth. to do. But uh, I think there are uh, more pressing problems confronting. Okay, so uh,
0: the, the, protecting the earth is an important thing to do, according to Rick Santor, but there are more pressing problems.
1: Than protecting the earth, because, you know, that's creation care. So the Pope is talking about, hey, God created this place. We're supposed to take care of it, not supposed to rip it to shreds. And also, I just want to point out the ozone regulations, totally not true. Those ozone regulations are designed to save lives because it kills three to 4,000 people a year.
0: So protecting the earth, protecting humanity... There are many more important things to do, like oh, uh, manufacturing jobs, money. That's money. That's much more important than protecting lives, according to these people.
2: Confronting uh, the earth uh, than climate change, and I would su- I would suggest that, particularly when it comes to me as, as as someone who's who's trying to go out there and make sure that we have a revitalization of manufacturing, and energy production, the things that create jobs and opportunities, uh, that. Uh, speculative science, which has proven over time not to have checked out <laughs> yeah. all, the, all the predictions that were made 15 years ago, none of them have come true. So all what? of this certainty, is this is what bothers me about this debate, the idea that the science is settled. Anytime you hear a scientist say the science is settled, that's political science, not real science, because no scientist in their right mind would say ever the science is settled.
0: And what scientists are saying the science is settled? None. Oh, none. So they've made up an argument and then they've destroyed it. Yes,
1: typical straw man argument. No scientist has ever said that the science is settled. They say that there is an emerging global scientific consensus. Totally different thing.
0: Well, not to Rick Santorum because he's got no arguments, so he's got to make something up. And that's exactly where all the Republicans are. That's exactly where this crazy party. It's not about politics for me, by the way, people. This is not a partisan issue. This is not you know, this is just about one major party talking about nonsense. It's not like they're coming back with a reasonable position with something reasonable to do. They're just talking in circles. It's maddening. And uh, in some respect, they're removing themselves from the actual debate because they're not talking about anything that has to do with reality.
1: Yeah, there's nothing that they can. There's no really nowhere that they can go with this because it all does come back to the money, and people are catching on to that finally. Are they? I think they are.
0: We'll find out. My thanks today to Desi Doy and our producer, to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest Tim Shorrock from The Nation. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can uh, listen to uh, the archives of our shows anytime if you missed any of it at bradblog.com and at iTunes and at Stitcher and at TuneIn and you can find me and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebook at the Brad blog I'm Brad Friedman good luck world